Germany's reunification 30 years later, all the events that we have to offer in the fall, and hold on to your hats, Donau Dampfschifffahrtsgesellschaft. This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome. Welcome. Where Germanic-speaking European countries, Germany, Deutschland, Deutschland. Austria, Österreich, Österreich. Switzerland, Schweiz. Blend with the Midwestern United States. Hello. We are here and there, and we invite you to come along on the journey. The last one that just uh, blew your hats off was Donau Dampfschifffahrtsgesellschaft. Commonly, we call this a compound noun, and I'm not the right person to explain this. I have, of course, reinforcements here. Welcome to Katrin again. Moin. Moin. And Claudia is here as well. Chris Gott. This is uh, the, the unbelievable reunification of the podcast trio in the same room. Socially distant, of course, but we are finally together. And to be honest, it feels good. Yep. And we have an open window and an air purifier. So we're trying to make sure we're double safe. We are double safe. A couple of things, of course, uh, as we go down the line of our topics today. Um, some of the historic topics that we will discuss today as well as first we'll get you through our grammar section. I'm sure you've missed that. And the grammar section today is called compound nouns. Katrin, what is the deal with them? Well, I would like to ask a question. Uh, the question would be, have you ever been in a fly thing? Or have you had a lucky mushroom, a perfectly legal lucky mushroom? Or what about the sorrel bacon and, you know, the shine thrower? These are all words that in German make complete sense when we translate them, you know, verbatim, not so much. Um, but dragon fodder, what could dragon fodder be, for example? Well, let me enlighten you. We call it das Drachenfutter. And it, it's, a, it's an apology gift that you give to your spouse or possibly to your mother-in-law when you want to have, you know, them in a mild mood, let's say. Um, the shine thrower, on the, other light, on the other hand, is a, a headlight, Scheinwerfer in German. The bad luck bird is der Pechvogel. In other words, in German, we can put nouns together. We can basically put them together as many as we want to, and then we have these wonderful, very long nouns that nobody can pronounce really without, you know, taking a deep breath in in the middle of it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the possibilities are endless, basically. Um, when we're talking about gendering them, uh, the last word determines what gender the whole word has. Even if there are 20 nouns in it, only the last word decides what it is. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, specifically, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun thing. So you can almost, without limits, make up new words with new meanings by just putting several nouns together. And, and they, they take on a completely new meaning, just like you said, you know, like, shine thrower or light thrower, shine valve. If you think about it, it makes sense. Or gloves, the German word for glove is a hand shoe. So they're very <laughs> practical, right? If you, if you think about it, but you can also express things and make up new words by 
putting a few nouns together and I'm just trying to uh, uh, think what you, you know, what you could do. But often you add just the word thing at the end where you just say the, the Spielzeug, plaything, yeah. Flugzeug, fly, fly thing. thing, yeah. Werkzeug, mm -hmm. work thing. Correct, mm -hmm. correct. And uh, and it's a it's a good way of uh, of uh, I guess for for language learners to reduce the numbers of words you actually need to know, right? Because if you as a German learner see these words, take them apart and see if you know the meaning of of some of them. So going back to the Donau Dampfschifffahrtsgesellschaft. Yeah. So Donau Dampfschiff. <laughs> Fahrt Gesellschaft, right? So that's five words, but as a, as a whole new noun, it's basically the Danube Danube shipping uh, or or cruise company. A Danube steamboat corporation, yeah. really, in in a verbatim translation. Yeah. And maybe maybe it it exemplifies it in in that manner, in that the English word of football, yeah, is sort of the same idea: the foot, the ball bring it together, make it football. I mean, yeah. everybody's, well, perhaps Except everybody's favorite sport. Everybody else calls it soccer, but yeah, but in, in general, right, it's it's those, or there's a, another sport called handball, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so it's it's a very logical way. So for people who like logic in, in building these compound nouns, it's uh, it's something that's, uh, that's very easily, uh, or glühbirne, right, uh, which is a light bulb. Mm -hmm. It's a glow Pear, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, globe, uh, uh, light bulbs used to be pear-shaped, and now they or they still kind of are pear-shaped, most of them. So if you think about it, you know, they, it, it does make a lot of sense. And who doesn't like a good dust sucker, dust. or, you know, <laughs> as we say, vacuum, or the stink animal, which is a skunk and makes complete sense. However, my favorite compound word, not noun so much, but uh, it becomes a noun, is Fokohila. Vorne kurz, hinten lang. Short in the front, long in the back, or as we say, the mullet. Yeah, yes. But what's interesting here is uh, the couple of words that you led with, I actually didn't recognize at all. I have never heard of those words. So there is some regional flavoring in this for sure. The fly thing. Flugzeug. Flugzeug. The lucky mushroom. Der Glückspilz. The sorrow bacon, the yeah. Kummerspeck. Kummerspeck. I've never heard that. Oh, Kummerspeck? Really? No. You've never heard? Nope, sorry. Oh. Interesting. So Kummerspeck is the extra couple of pounds that you gain uh, when you're sad. Ah, okay, well. Or in COVID. I must be, yeah. sad. I must be sad a lot. <laughs> yes. No, but I think there, there, there are probably some some regional things that um, that people that people use or just that are part of the dialect where, you know, if, if you're in the North, you probably have some more things that are associated with, with ocean or fish or, or the sea or whatever. And in, you know, in Austria, where it's maybe more mountainous, there may be some more words that are, that are affiliated with that. Yeah. We call ourselves fish cuppa, no? The yeah. fish heads. Right. See, another, not another one that I have never heard before. Heads. No, not to me. No. Yeah, that's the last one that you just uh, referenced. Fish cup. Mm -hmm. Fish cup. Never heard of it. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. We are landlocked country, so I guess the association to, to certain words is just simply not there. Well, that or those of us from the south, where it's a little more hilly, we call the people from the north Flachländer. 
The Flatlanders. The Flatlanders, yeah. Right, and because it is very flat in the south, it's a lot more hilly. Um, what do you call someone that is, you know, not particularly courageous? Doesn't have a strong spine to stand up to people in Austria. Oh, in, in Austria. Uh, feigling. Feigling, okay. What's a more colloquial word? Great, I'm being put on the spot here. <laughs> I can't come up with anything. Uh, no, feigling is the first word that comes to mind, actually. Yeah. Okay, so we would say either a weichei, a yeah. soft egg, with, of course, egg not referring to the actual eggs, but to what we refer to as nuts in yeah. English, yeah. or a warmdusche. Yeah. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So does weichei in your reference would be somebody who's not courageous, basically not brave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the, the recollection that I have of using the word weichei, so soft egg, is somebody who's not tough enough to do something. So it doesn't really have much to do with bravery, but more with uh, this person just can't power through, I don't know, a, a hike. I instance. think that would be included in okay. that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, there's definitely some... Dusche, or I'm trying to think. Or somebody who, who always complains. Ein Jammerlappen. Right? See, I don't know if you use that in Austria. Ein Jammerlappen is basically... So Uh, Yamon is always a, a complaining, and a lappen is a, is a, is a rag, so it's a complaining rag. I've never used the term before, but I can piece it together. So yeah. that's, I think, the takeaway here to some degree is that if you know the individual compounds, you can actually make sense out of the compound noun. Correct. And we had uh, one in the Pioneer Press on the weekend, the Unterhosenbügler. Yes. And that would fall into the Weichei and Warmduscher category as yeah. well. I saw that. Um, never heard of that word before, Do ever. you iron your underwear? Uh, not commonly, no. Particularly <laughs> not when I'm in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, to all language learners, you know, once you know a few nouns and, you know, then you see some of these words because, you know, people always say the German language is famous for these really, really, really long words. Chances are those are compound nouns that are actually put together out of three or four different nouns. You know, don't despair. Just take them apart and figure out what, uh, what the individual nouns are and uh, you might just be able to figure out what they are. So, you know. Or the other way around too. Put them together. Make your own longest word ever. Correct. That you can, you know, show off with. It's yeah. a good exercise for next class. <laughs> I'm sorry, right. well, Günther students. Sorry, yeah. But I mean, you know, here's one for most students, right? Ein Sonnenschirm, which is a sun umbrella, right? Or I don't know what... A, sun shield, really. A sun shield, right? Mm -hmm. But it's Sonne und Schirm. So there's there's a lot of them that are, that are very uh, uh, basic. Schildkröte, the shield toad, or yeah. tortoise. Yeah, or turtle. Mm-hmm. Yep. How frequently would you say are we expressing ourselves in compound noun? It's something quite common or is it something that can be glossed over and you're just going to figure out things by just context anyways? Well, context, of course, always plays a gigantic role, but um, they are very common. Um, I would say you probably can't make it through a paragraph without several. Yeah. So definitely... Definitely good to have in your arsenal, at least from an understanding perspective, because one of the most crucial perspectives to this is simply that if you disassemble, <clears throat> if you will, the compound noun, 
the article derives from the last compound in this compound noun. So if you know the individual building blocks, you know what the article is. So completely disregarding the first couple of pieces or in my brain frying example in the beginning, the five compounds, only the last one really matters. Yep. Yep. So no chances of anybody knowing that article, of course, are, you know, maybe 50-50, but theoretically you have a pretty good chance. Right. Yeah. And then this goes back to the age-old frustration, if you will. How can we figure out articles? Well, those are the things that come through exposure and learning, and there are only a couple of things where it's, I think there's a fail-safe where we can talk about, uh, this is always masculine, this is always feminine. Well, and, and since we are talking about articles, there's something else coming up. Yes, in our fall Vergnügen series that we have, as the name says, every fall, we will have a three or four week class just on articles. Articles, gendering, how do I figure out what gender a word has, a noun has, if I don't know it? Are there maybe some tricks? And yes, there are. Yep, so two things right there, right? Fall Vergnügen. What a great compound noun, and what do you think it is? Fall pleasure, yes, because everybody loves to learn new things in German in the fall. Fall Vergnügen. And then, yeah, that class is going to be called Der Didas. And it, uh, so take a look on our website in the next coming weeks. It will be a probably four-week short session on, uh, on articles. All right. I think I'm going to sit in on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. All right, Katrin, as always, thanks for the grammar downloads. Appreciate it. And uh, 30 years of Germany's reunification. If you think back, uh, in a previous episode, we did have a panel of four participants, former East Germans and former West Germans, and the discussion was uh, live recorded uh, revolving around the fall of the wall. But it's been 30 years since. So the question is, what actually has changed in the last three decades? And that's part two of today's podcast. Now, as the Austrian, I have to casually sit this one out, which, of course, we noticed and we recognized uh, fundamental changes in Germany. But they didn't really affect us greatly. It's not like we had a wall that suddenly tumbled over and we became friends again with our uh, fellow Germans. So my question would go to Katrin, of course, and, and Claudia. How did it affect you? What was it like? Uh, what, what did you recognize and how, from your perspective, has it changed in the last 30 years? Well, first, I just kind of want to uh, mention that a lot of people talk about the fall of the wall and the reunification. Those are actually two separate events that were approximately a year apart. So the fall of the wall kind of started a long process of the two co uh, countries coming together, which then happened with the first celebrated uh, uh, Unity Day on October 3rd, 1990, and Fall of the Wall was uh, in November of uh, 1989. So just from a historical point of view, those were actually two separate events. Um, I was... A, a person who grew up in West Germany in the 70s and 80s. To me, I couldn't fathom a, uni a unified Germany. And I had actually just moved here to the U.S. As that, as that was going on. And it was almost one of these things that's completely unreal. I mean, it, it, to me, I had no concept 
what a unified Germany would look like. Now, growing up in that context, how did you view the now former East Germans? Well, they were kind of like the poor neighbor to the East that were uh, um, that were ruled by a different uh, government that were also Germans, and um, that you know we in the West were better off and were the lucky ones, I guess, in a sense. The only other pl the only place though where where we admired in a way East Germany was in sports. In, in some sports, they were really, really good in some sports. And uh, even, you know, like at the Olympics and things like that, even though, you know, it was a rather small country with uh, maybe 20 to 30 million people, you know, they, they, they were really a force to be reckoned with in some of the athletics and, and that kind of stuff. But generally, it was uh, perceived that we in the West were the lucky ones and the ones in uh, the, the Germans in the East um, were under, you know, oppressive, under an oppressive government. Catherine, what was it like for you? Particularly, you grew up in northern Germany. You dipped your toes regularly in the, uh, in the ocean. Um, what was it like for you back then? Well, on the few occasions where our toes weren't dipped in the ocean, um, we sort of had the same perception. And Hannover, where I grew up, really isn't very far from what used to be the border. We had friends in eastern Germany that we would visit. It was quite the undertaking with lots of permissions and permission slips. And really, it was very complicated. Um, it was scary. I mean... My perception of Eastern Germany was always it was a really scary place. And when we went there, just the silence, the oppressive air that one could feel really, um, I think that made a big impression on me. And I was, you know, in my early teens um, when the wall came down. But yeah, the time between November 9th or maybe even September of 89 and then October 3rd was just, it was an adrenaline rush because every day there were new news. It's a little bit comparable maybe to what's happening now where there's hardly a day that goes by when you don't get some sort of yeah spike <laughs> through watching the news. And it was the same back then because nobody really knew where we were going. Was this all going to be peaceful? Was there blood going to be shed? Um, how would Moscow react? It was it was a great unknown. And now looking back, yeah, it worked out beautifully, really. You know, there really wasn't any bloodshed. It was peaceful for the most part. But we didn't know that back then. And it was just, yeah, a time on really, really high alert for a long time. So it was good. There was a lot of joy, very much so. We found some relatives that uh, we hadn't known were even alive. Uh, you know, people had seen them last, like right before the end of the war, um, and their children and children's children as well. So there was a lot of happiness, but there also was a lot of uncertainty. And how are we as a country, then as a whole country, you know, East and West Germany, going to shoulder this? How is this going to work out? And 30 years later, there is so much progress that has been made, but it's by no means, you know, perfect. Right. And I mean, I remember too, right? It was very, very emotional, very, 
because you know you always felt like they were your brethren in the east and and like Katrin said there was a lot of joy and then reality hit and and the infrastructure for example in east and west germany wasn't even comparable and you know west germany has uh, has been since the second world war an economic powerhouse and uh, and innovative and and a lot of things and in the east under you know soviet you rule things just work differently so so there was just a huge difference of uh infrastructure and then initially a lot of people with certain skills from the east left to go to the west i mean it was almost uh, uh, there was a huge uh, um exodus really exodus yeah exodus of people and of labor especially younger people and then let's not forget the solidaritätsabgabe right so there was a solidarity tax which was levied for psh, 20 years or so i mean for it, a, it would have been longer it just ran out it short, just ran out yeah. a short time ago so 20 25 years there was an extra tax everybody had to pay in mostly in the west too to to pay for this uh, uh for for bringing that infrastructure back so if you think about that you know east and west germany really only existed from uh the end of the second world war through 1989 so just a little over 40 years 40 some years and now 30 years later you would have thought all of this is you know long history long gone but but there's still some things as katrin said that have to be worked out some things that are still uh, um it a work in progress and it's it's amazing yeah if we are looking at what really happened in eastern germany compared to western germany of course um you know in eastern germany we had a communist or socialist regime um and that most likely had influence on how the economy performed and frankly success was measured differently than it was measured in western germany and i don't want to get into any ideological debates here but uh Eastern Germany also had to pay reparations to the Soviet Union and factories were taken down, you know, at the level of 1945. So really Eastern Germany was thrown back into, you know, the 1920s economically and they never really recovered from that. Western Germany, on the other hand, yeah, reparations as well. Um, but we had the Marshall Plan. The U.S. came in and injected massive amounts of money into Germany. And, and no, it was technology. not. Yeah, it was not all selfless. Of course, there was a plan behind it. But nonetheless, Germany got basically a lot of startup money. Yep. Um, and Eastern Germany didn't have that. And now when we're talking about that, we still feel the repercussions of that because Eastern Germany till this day economically is not as strong as Western Germany. People are leaving the uh, radical rights, uh, new um, Nazis, all those movements are very strong in Eastern Germany. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist in Western Germany. Far from it. People vote AfD and whatever as well. But the societal structures that completely broke apart in Eastern Germany, especially when we're talking about youth and youth groups, you know, they were before all embedded in like party events as in political party. Um, they had their youth organizations. They knew exactly where they were going in the afternoon. You know, all that broke away. These people fell hard from a high 
altitude and a lot of them were caught by right-wing organizations and we are still seeing the fruits of that and i mean there was you know over the last however many years there was a global movement towards populism in the you know in the political spectrum and um that is something that you're talking about right and that and that scares some people in germany where you know this populism to an extreme where that could take people again without you know going into a long political discourse but that that can be you know with with history in germany and some other things that is something that uh that can be very scary and uh and yeah I, as katrin said you know nobody had ever done this before where you had two sovereign more or less sovereign countries and but two separate countries and um and uh, to put them together i mean uh, it, of course it's going to be difficult and even though they had a shared heritage and a shared language the ideal the i ideological aspects of the two countries couldn't have been more different. No, and it is again a very good example of how direct conditions really lead to extremism in politics. Right. Um, there is a man named Wilhelm Heidmeier in Germany who is a researcher at the University of Bielefeld who already in the early 90s did these surveys and research on how people fall into these right-wing movements And Eastern Germany was a big focus of his. And now, of course, these kids back then, you know, in their, let's say, mid-teens to mid-20s or something, they today are in the age group that votes for the AFD. So they really never left that again, right. that mindset. Right. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, there are some great things that came out of the reunification, you know, some some cities from from the east like Dresden and you know they kind of came back into their glory like they like in Leipzig and, and Dresden of Frankreich was rebuilt yep so some 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 of those things Berlin is again the global metropolis that it that it's meant to be and it's you know if you haven't been to Berlin in a long time I saw Berlin in the 90s Uh, you know, I I never traveled to Berlin while there was East and West Germany. So, and I saw Berlin in the early mid '90s when it was just a complete construction disaster. And uh, then again, in you know, about 20 years later, and it's it's awesome. It's awesome. There's luckily uh, for for some of the economy, there's a lot of tourism. Um, There's a lot of tourism along the Baltic Sea. There are some beautiful areas um, along, you know, you know, the Baltic, as I mentioned, the 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 Ostsee. So there are some, you know, really shining points of of opportunity. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting part of history that we're living. And it'll it'd be interesting to see how that's going to be written in the history books for people in 200 years to read you know whether whether this uh, uh you know the whole time of east west germany and the reunification and and the ongoing history listening to you how it has changed in the last 30 years i mean 
yes, there are issues. I mean, there are issues everywhere, but it also seems to have fundamentally changed with more opportunity because people have the freedom to roam. Well, plus it's now a whole new generation, right? I mean, you say a generation is about 30 years, right? So now you have this whole turnover of a generation, for example, my niece and nephew in Germany who were born in the early 2000s, they've never experienced a... Uh, a separated Germany. They've never even experienced the Deutsche Mark. They've grown up with the Euro, right? So you, 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 with a unified currency. So that's the other part, right? So it became much more of a unified Europe and, and a lot of things happened. And, um, and some of the people that were younger during the East West times, you know, are getting older. So it, it's, you know, and as, as this whole millennium, millennial age group is is taking over in air quotes you know it's it's becoming more and more and more people who who never knew it any different and you know well and and for them it's history and for us it's we remember right so it, it's i had to help our exchange student when he was here on a paper on um the wall and the fall of the wall in right. eastern germany and I mentioned glasnost and perestroika, which for us were, I mean, the words. Everybody knew them. He had never heard about them. And he is from Schwerin, Wim. I mean, some mm -hmm. of you heard, you know, him in the post, uh, podcast here as well. He, Schwerin was Eastern Germany, but yep. it is so not relevant to his life, whether he's in former Eastern or former Western <laughs> Germany. It just doesn't matter. He also is concerned about the right-wing nationalists, you know, but not so much about communism at this point. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So there's this whole new generation of people that are growing up that just don't know life any different, just like we didn't know it any different with the separated part or, you know, my parents or your parents even, you know, living through a world war. I mean, it's just obviously the, the time for that generation and what what is important in their lives and uh, and for us that growing up in a separated germany and then the fall of the wall and the reunification was a major major event in our lifetime wow loaded topic even 30 years later still well it, it, it's not even so much loaded it's just it's it's uh, uh um still very emotional i think but it's also a uh, um great i guess experiment in history right how 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 something like this can be done or is done well and i think at least for me um these massive political events don't happen a lot i mean no. i think one could possibly say that we're in a major um moment of change right now again two or 30 years later but you know, the whole fall of a system, the new forming of a country. And here we're still discussing, you know, is it a unification or reunification? Right. Because really Germany mm. never existed in those borders. So right. technically it's more of a unification. Correct. But, um, you know, it's if it had been a negative experience, I suppose we would talk about trauma. And for many people, especially in the East, where everything disappeared that they knew, the societal order, whatever, you know, for a lot of people it was a traumatic experience. But for me, it definitely shaped my worldview. And I doubt and probably also hope that I will never experience anything like it again. On that note, 
Yeah, so speaking of German history, right? Uh, let's kind of transition to the uh, uh, to the to the next part. So, upcoming programs and events. So we have a we have a series of uh, presentations and exhibits, and uh, some of it in person, some of it online. Um, it's called "Stars and Stripes Over the Rhine: The American Oc Occupation in Germany After World War One." So obviously the um, USA and Germany have had a uh, long, not always friendly, military uh, history. And uh, this is something that explores uh, part of that, starting with the uh, occupation after World War One. Take a look on our website. Like I said, there's a film, there's an exhibit, there's going to be a talk, and there's going to be a tour, and all of those different dates are going to be on our website soon. And uh, whichever way you know works best for you, there's going to be a live exhibit at the house, I think, with 18 to 20 panels. So things that you can actually look at. There's a virtual part of it. There's a film. A lot of different things along uh, along those lines uh, in, in history. And the other thing we're planning, and we briefly spoke about it regarding uh, language programs with the Fallvergnügen. We talked about it a minute ago with the Adidas, where you can... Uh, I'll learn all about articles, and then we're going to have another program that's going to be more uh, conversation-based and maybe some short stories or something. So, again, keep an eye on our website for the fall programs, the fall Fugnügen, and uh, those uh, fall Fugnügen classes are usually the shorter sessions, four to six weeks long, not the longer 12-week sessions, which just started at the beginning of September. And if you missed the start of those, we start again right after the holidays in the in the new year. I can't believe we're talking about the new year. Well, it's almost October. I you know. know. This is crazy. I am aware, yeah. Well, the ball season is about... To, never mind. The ball season? There is no ball season. Well, yeah, there is not really a carnival season either. No, no. not this year, which is, yeah, that's just... I did just read, actually, in fact, yesterday that the uh, Open Bar was cancelled. Already, so they're already cancelling for what? Twenty-one for March, February, or March, or when uh, that something, normally something, something in the neighborhood, yeah. Wow. Um, which is, uh, I don't remember the last time that the Open Bar was cancelled. I mean, obviously, it predated my existence. I think, uh, if ever, I would have to look that up. But it's pretty significant. Uh, it is probably the prime ball in the entire ball season in Vienna. So for the open ball to fall victim to the pandemic uh, speaks yeah, louder than words, pretty much. Yep, and that's interesting, right? I mean, I guess all of these things would have to, they have to start the planning and all of these things now. So if you're not sure what the fall and the winter season is going to look like, they're just saying, well, we're just going to pull the plug. And that's I mean, we knew stuff was getting real once Oktoberfest was canceled. Yes. yes. Because I think Viennese opera ball is the ball in the world, quite frankly, from right. maybe my very Eurocentric uh, worldview. No, view. it is. It, it's, it, it absolutely is, yes. Right. Yeah, but uh, Oktoberfest, I think, has, you know, for symbolism and, you know, significance, probably a similar status. Yep. Yep. And for those two to be canceled is just... Yeah, but yeah. Oktoberfest would actually be going on right now. Correct, yeah. yeah. And they canceled that quite early on, mm -hmm. actually. So yes. um, still, foresight, and obviously the, the writing was on the wall. And the same now for 2021. So I guess uh, we'll just uh, keep our heads high and keep on trucking because 
after all, that's pretty much all we can do. And do you know programs online, virtual podcasts, do whatever we can, or yep. do things in small groups. And on that note, if you do have any topical suggestions uh, during the time where we can't put on big events, uh, of course, please do let us know. Podcast at gai-mn.org. Again, it's podcast at gai-mn.org. I think that pretty much wraps it for today. I believe so. That's all, folks. Catherine, thank you so much. Good to have you back. Good to be here. Claudia, thank you so much. Adele. And this is Gunther signing off. Thanks so much for being with us. Of course, again, if you do have topical suggestions or would like to hear from a particular guest, please email us and we'll take it from there. Gunther signing off. Until next time. Tschüss.